being someone who was more of a white collar person my whole life, switching to a blue collar trade where I didn't know everything and gaining the respect of people in my local market to even get them to want to work for me was probably my biggest challenge. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today, you'll hear from Ryan Lucia, a former software executive turned owner of Aaron Overhead Garage Doors in Atlanta, Georgia. The one thing you need to know about Ryan is that he has a bit of a problem. He's addicted to starting new businesses. In addition to running his high-end garage door shop, he runs a marketing agency for the trades called Such and Such Media. Ryan has some great ideas about technology, personal growth and development, even podcasting. I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Ryan Lucia, welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Yeah, glad to be here. I am so thrilled to be here. Service Titan has actually sponsored your podcast, Torsion Talk, and I've just, you've been a customer for a couple of years now, and I'm just really excited to chat with you. One, because you're in the garage door industry and, you know, I've been talking to a lot of plumbing and HVAC guys recently, and I just want to shake it up a bit. And also, also, I want to talk to another podcaster of the trade. I'm so excited about this conversation. Um, So welcome, welcome. Thanks for finally scheduling time to sit down with me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So let's kick this conversation off. I start every conversation the same. How did you get into the trades? So it's a really long story, so I'm going to shorten it. I worked at a software company. We went from, I guess, when I got hired on, it was one of those scenarios where no one would take the job. And I walked into the interview and they were desperate. And I was like, they told me that I wasn't exactly what they were looking for. He was so blunt about it. And he's like, but at this point, we just need somebody who's hungry and willing to work. And I was like, wow, I'll take it. And so um, I went home, told my wife that I accepted a job with a startup that admitted that they might fail within six months. And she, we just found out she was pregnant, by the way. So she freaked out that I accepted the job without talking to her. But it worked out really well. So I was the first salesperson to join the company and they gave me a lot of rope. And so we grew that team. The company was wildly successful and we ended up selling that company for about 65 million and uh, in about six years. And so that was fun. That was a really good time. And I learned a lot about growing and scaling a business and building a great team. And really they gave me a budget for company culture So I was able to um, do things to learn about uh, creating good company culture, including flying out to Zappos uh, and doing the tour of them and being able to sit down with their team and ask them questions about they're kind of known for their company culture. They also have what's uh, something really unique that's a uh, horizontal org chart. So when we got acquired shortly after, I kind of saw the end of the road coming for me there. Uh, We were acquired by a publicly traded company. I was an executive on the team and I was a GED high school dropout. And um, they had like a little bit of a mandatory or expectation of what their executives were supposed to have. And so we had that conversation and I don't know, it just, uh, it wasn't as good of a fit with the publicly traded company as it was with, with the small software company. So um, I saw the writing on the wall and I had a client, previously when I owned a marketing company um, called Aaron Overhead Doors in California. Now, mind you, I had no experience with tools at all. As a matter of fact, my wife would make fun of me when stuff needed to be fixed around the house and I tried to do it myself. Uh, I didn't know the names of tools. I mean, I knew what a drill was. I knew what a hammer was. And that was about it, to be honest. But someone was like, (laughs) someone would go like Phillips head screwdriver. You'd be like, ah, you lost me. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty bad. So uh, we pretty much hired people to fix things around the house. When when I had made my decision, that I wanted to do something completely different. I was tired of software. It was a fun ride, but I wanted to do, I just wanted to change careers. And um, 
I was talking to my buddy, Larry out in California, who owns Aaron overhead doors. We did marketing for him in the past. So he was a client of mine and we built a good relationship. And I told him, I said, look, I want to do something different. I'm tired of being on conference calls all day. I'm tired of being in boardrooms and flying for one day trips to Chicago and New York. And I was like, I just want to, I want to be home and I want to have fun. And I kind of want to sweat and maybe even get dirty. And he was like, let's start at Aaron Overhead Door Atlanta. And I was like, Psh. I didn't even think about it. I was like, yes. So I went home and told my wife, and this was number two, where she did not agree at all with the decision that I made. And we fought on it for a little bit, but our wedding anniversary was coming up and I had already planned something big for her. And so we, um, we went to the Keys and I took her to a little island off of the Keys called Little Palm Island for dinner to kind of celebrate the night of our anniversary. And um, I don't know if you've been, have you ever heard of Little Palm? It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, they take you out on a little boat and you, you walk up and they, we reserved like our own little dinner on the beach and they have these uh, rose petals all laid out and the deer from the island kind of walk up and eat the rose petals and they're all kind oh. of, it was like, Oh my gosh, you're, 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 it was pretty slick. Uh, now I dropped a pretty dime on that, but all things said, the reason why I bring that up is not to brag about how much I spent on a dinner, but it did take that to get my wife to approve the business being started on something that I had no clue on how to do. Uh, but it was at that dinner, we weren't even talking about the business uh, that she agreed. She looked me in the eyes. I still never will forget. She said, let's do it. And I was like, let's do what? And she's like, let's start the business. And I was like, wow, I don't uh, Now I'm scared because you're bought in and I really have to do this thing. So the deer was like jumping on his rose petals. Like, yep, yeah. you're in now, buddy. Yep. I, uh, I flew out to California for one week and trained on how to repair garage doors. And so, um, which is not long enough for those of you guys that don't know by any stretch of the means. As a matter of fact, my training process here usually takes anywhere between three and six months before we even consider people to do anything on their own. So um, they're usually training for a year before they get a truck. So for me, I had four and a half days, came back here, announced that I'm launching a garage door company. I had a list of tools uh, that he gave me that I needed and I went and bought the ones that I really thought I could afford and, and still keep the cash as much as possible. We cashed out our 401k. We refinanced the house. I mean, we did everything uh, to kind of set ourselves up. I had a spreadsheet that if we hit this amount of money by this amount of time, we'll be able to continue living the lifestyle that we live now. My wife was a stay-at-home wife, so she she didn't have a paying uh, job. And so uh, we wanted to try to maintain that because we wanted her to raise our kids as much as possible. And so uh, that was that was a big jump. Uh, I remember that it was a little bit fearful, but I've I've been a part of startups and and seen the opportunity and the growth. And that first full year, uh, we did about seven hundred thousand dollars and that was doing something that I wasn't super familiar with. And to tell you how painful it was, when I got back from California, I announced on Facebook and one of my friends was like, hey, I'll buy a door for my dad. It's his birthday and he needs a new garage door. So I was like, cool, I'll go buy, I'll measure and I'll give you the quote and you can pay and I'll go install it. Well, mind you, I never got trained to do installation. I only learned how to do repairs and not even all repairs at that. So we, um, I went there and installed the door uh, 11 hours it took me to do that job and I still didn't do it right. And so it, we didn't get off to a, a great start there, but that is my introduction into the trade. I made three trips to Home Depot during those 11 hours also because I didn't have everything needed. Um, so that that's my introduction into the trade. Holy cow. And what year was this? 2015. So still pretty new. Oh, wow. I absolutely love this, man. I wish I knew your origin story. I totally would have reformatted my uh, questions for you today. What a story. Um, so you chose not to mention the software company that you worked for. I imagine that was intentional, but I would love to know a little bit about what you did at that software company. Was that primarily sales and marketing? You mentioned that you learned a lot about business. 
Yeah, I learned a lot about business because I, um, I had a great mentor there. The CEO was someone who was a little bit traditional, but also a very calculated risk taker. He's been successful at starting or coming into companies that have an aspiration of being sold and um, growing them really fast and then selling them. And he's duplicated his process like six or seven times. Uh, after he left there, he went to a small company in Atlanta who had a really cool technology and uh, shortly after got acquired by Carvana. So he joined the executive team, I think, at Carvana for a while. And then he just recently retired because his uh, his wife's um, battling cancer. And uh, so he's at home taking care of her. Got it. Wow. What a, what an origin story. Um, I am sorry again for your mentor. It sounds like he really meant a lot to you. So I hope that him and his family are doing well. Amazing. They're doing great. She's a fighter and she'll make it through. That's awesome. So you mentioned two things in your origin story that immediately caught my attention. First thing, when I was looking at Aaron Overhead Doors, specifically the website for the Atlanta location where you're at, I was blown away by your web presence. I don't think I've seen, I mean, most of the people that I have on this podcast have a really buttoned up, beautiful web presence, and they're some of the most successful service Titan customers. But I found your web experience to be so fantastic, your brand to be so clear. And did you do some of that work for Larry at the California location prior to starting the Atlanta location? So he, I talked him into hiring another marketing company because I couldn't do his marketing anymore after starting the door company. And so we both hired a marketing company to build our websites. Uh, he stuck with that site and I went off. And once I launched my new marketing company, we rebranded our website. So uh, we still have, we still share the same logo, but uh, we went a little bit of a different direction. Most recently, one of the things you'll see on the website and it's intentional is we really focus a lot of our attention on high-end garage doors. We've learned that there's in the garage door industry, it's a low barrier of entry. So there's a lot of garage door people out there. Majority of the companies being two to three, maybe four people. And so the competition is fierce, especially here in the Atlanta market. I've been told by a local distribution center that they calculated there's over 600 garage door dealers just in the metro Atlanta area. And so um, everybody's kind of competing for the same market. And uh, we, we just sat down one day and we realized that, you know what, we're not, we're not doing very well. Our brand, what, what we're trying to create is a uh, prestigious, um, more higher end customer service focused brand. And so we were never the cheapest, but we still played in the cheap door business. And so we, um, you know, you can buy a cheap door around here for $500 installed. Well, I don't want to do anything for under 1500 or two grand when it comes to new doors. Uh, so we decided that we uh, wanted to change our image and uh, see if we can um, focus more of our attention on hiring customers or more complicated jobs that paid out better. And so we redesigned the website to attract people uh, that are looking for um, high-end, modern glass, um, you know, something that's, that separated us from our competitors. A lot of our competitions are sending like technicians to go to people's homes. And I just, you know, I'm really, I feel like I'm really good about helping people pick out styles, uh, narrowing down options. And so when I would walk into a customer's home, talk about their door. It was more of a design experience, not just a garage door experience. And the garage door, what a lot of people, you know, un, you know, uh, don't value is that it takes up about a third of your home's, um, you know, curb appeal. And a lot of people just ignore that. And I think it's one of the most critical parts of, of your home because not only is it a third of your home, but it's what most people look at when they pull in the driveway first. And so, I take a great pride in being able to take a house and uh, take a door that looks ugly and, and put something beautiful on there and change the whole aesthetics. So what we've done is we've, um, we bought a big van and we created a mobile design showroom and we hired a lady with design background and she's now our uh, design uh, consultant. And so uh, she, we actually book 
door design consultants, uh, uh, consultant, whatever uh, appointments. And so we don't we don't actually call them uh, door measures or door quotes or anything like that. It's a it's a consultation for design. I absolutely love that. I've never heard anyone else who does that in the space. And when I looked at your website in preparation for today's call, I was like, wow, I never considered a garage door as a work of art until now. Really, the stuff that you guys do is very impressive. And I think that your website is certainly tailored to the ideal customer that you want. Yep. The second thing I wanted to bring up in your origin story, you mentioned your wife twice, you mentioned uh, the birth of one of your kids. I also noticed that your family brand was really ingrained uh, on your online presence. How intentional is that? It is, I believe, especially here in the South, people really love hiring and supporting small business. And so I intentionally make my business look bigger than probably it is, but I do sprinkle more of a family atmosphere. There's lots of photos of our employees on there. I believe that, you know, garage doors in and of themselves are not going to separate us from our competition, which is why I put the faces of our employees on there and their certifications. I also put a picture of our family and talk a little bit about us um, and how things got started throughout our website. I absolutely love that. I think it's fantastic. What's the... I'll tell you a cool story about that. My son, I took him out once. He's totally annoying when I'm trying to sell something, but uh, uh, we went to this one job and the customer loved him. And he was like three, I think, three or four years old. He's six now. And um, we sold the door on the spot. And so I was like, wow, Bubby, you sold your first garage door. And I'll never forget like the smile on his face. So uh, he even, the customer was like, let's take a picture. And so I took a picture of him with the customer in front of the garage door. And um, my son even told me like, it was probably six months ago. He's like, dad, he's like, you're stressed out about money. I'll just go with you to go sell more garage doors. And I was like, okay, I see. All right, we got this. So anyway, yeah, he, um, he, he's, uh, he's got uh, uh, a really good closing rate. Um, and I probably need to get him out in the field more. Yeah, I mean, why, who needs grade school, you know, right? And just 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 uh, have him ride along on a truck and do those sales. Uh, that's so adorable. I, I really want to know what was the most surprising thing for you coming from, you know, a sales marketing background in software and in tech to transitioning to the garage door industry? What shocked you the most? What really inspired you or, or changed your mind about things the most? Like what really had an impact? I would say the biggest surprise was I thought I could scale this business like I did software. And um, after the first year, I was even more convinced, which probably dug me into a deeper hole than I wanted to be in. But in software, when you get to a certain point, you know, you you ask your employees, hey, who, you know, uh, we have a position open. Do you know anybody? And we would get, you know, five, six referrals of people that possibly could do this job that maybe works at a competitor or a different in a different space. And so I had this mentality that, you know, we'll grow it as fast as we can. And then, you know, we'll, we'll scale it and, and hire. And the problem became <laughs> there wasn't anybody to hire. So number one, here's this guy who knows nothing about what he's doing has no background in garage door no relationship with anybody in the garage door industry here in the Atlanta market. I almost felt like a lot of people were standing back, like watching me wondering just when I was going to fail. And so it, you know, I would, I would go to the distribution centers and when I was backed in and I saw somebody who looked friendly, I would talk to them and, you know, uh, befriend them and get their number and give them my number and, you know, tell them that if, you know, ask them, uh, you know, hey, if I ever had an overload of work, would you be, you know, would you ever consider helping me out? Um, and, and, and doing that enough kind of helped me build a few relationships and got me a few employees. But that's probably the biggest thing is being someone who was more of a white collar person my whole life, switching to a blue collar trade, where I didn't know everything, and gaining the respect of people in my local market to even get them to want to work for me um, was probably my biggest challenge. Got it. And it sounds like you overcame that challenge by just being yourself, introducing yourself to people, networking as much as you could, even if it felt awkward or weird at supply houses and whatnot. 
Yeah. And then I think a lot of people have a perception that, you know, number one, owners don't work as hard as the guys in the field. And then if you're white collar, you don't really understand. So I take a lot of pride in how hard I work. So I just proved that I worked hard and, you know, I was in a truck, I was answering phones and helping do everything. So it was, um, you know, until I was able to get out of the field, I think I gained respect that way. Um, now it's more or less, we've realized that there's as many people as there are out there in the industry. It's better for us to bring people who fit our culture and have the work ethic. And then we're now we're structured to train people from the ground up. Nice. Well, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your culture. I, when I was poking through the Facebook, I, your team seems like a really great bunch of people all genuinely smiling. And I'd love to know a little bit about, you know, your hiring practices now and the culture that you're trying to build at the Atlanta location. And also just quick clarification, are you and the Cal, you guys mentioned you share a logo, but for all intents and purposes, are you separate entities at this point? We are. Okay, cool. So, uh, Agreement, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Got it. So for Aaron Overhead Doors Atlanta, talk to me about the culture. So for me, culture is number one. And, um, you know, that's, uh, I consider it like mama bear with her cubs. I will protect it at all costs. Um, so if anything threatens the culture in our organization, um, then I shut it down. And, and as bad as that sounds, that means firing, letting people go, whatever. I will tolerate a lot of things, but when I interview people and when I hire people and they come into the organization, my, I tell them my number one goal for you is to contribute to making the culture better, not just coming in here and being part of the current culture, but making it better every single person. And so that's my goal. Um, that's what I tell the new employees uh, that their goals are. And when it comes to um, the company culture here, I like to describe it as family. I like to describe it as that we take care of one another. We're a team. So if one guy's working late and another guy's getting off a little early, he'll run over there and help the guy that's running behind to try to get him home as soon as possible so he's not stuck out there by himself. You know, that's the type of thing that, that I like. Uh, we're very transparent as a leadership team. We share our financials with our group. We talk to them about our profit loss. We show them our numbers month to month. And so I believe that helps get us buy-in also. So the team knows, hey, look, we're in this to make a profit. And, and you know, it, it also, I think when, when a lot of our staff members see you making hundreds of thousands of dollars in a month and, you know, they may have a, a bad stretch financially for their personal life, but if they don't understand all the expenses that go into running the business, they may become resentful toward the owner that, hey, how come I'm struggling so hard, but the company did $200,000 last month. You know, I deserve a raise. And that's not really the mentality that I think people should have, but it helps if you educate your employees on exactly how much you're making and, and explain why it's important that you're profitable and, and what you need to do to be profitable. And it's a team effort and how a lot of little thing can add up to a big loss. And so uh, we share a lot of that information, both financially, we're very transparent. We just, you know, we're open and willing to discuss compensation. You know, I don't want people knocking on my door every day, but you know, if every three months you want to sit down and evaluate your compensation, try to find ways to uh, advance, I'm open to that conversation. And so those are the things that I always wanted when I was employed uh, with other businesses. And I think that's what I try to do here. I love that. In the season that this episode will, will be released, we I really want to focus a lot of these conversations on technicians and the technician experience. So it sounds like for you, your goalpost as a leader, your North Star rather, is exactly what you just said. What did I want when I was under an owner, when I was under a CEO throughout all facets of your life? And it sounds like your employees have been pretty receptive to that. They have. You know, not everybody's going to respect it, but uh, I do believe majority of people do. 100%. Um, what does your retention look like in terms of your technicians? So the first probably three years was really hard. We had a couple of people that stayed for a long time 
And then we just had a lot of turnover on the others, right? And that's actually pretty typical, I think, for a startup in some cases. And then, you know, once you start identifying how to hire people, what to look for in this industry, um, you know, I think that you start to learn the type of people that you want and then the type of people that'll stay. And that's, that's where we focus our attention. And right now, I would say we have not lost anybody. I think we've only lost two employees in the past year, year and a half. That's and not bad. It's not, you know, we let both of them go uh, for their own reasons, but we, um, everyone else, we have a, we're a total of 12 people. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I tell like very few people know this, but I tell a few people that my goal isn't to be the biggest or the best garage door company in, in the world. I just want to be the best place to work. And so I think we view things a little bit differently and, and I'll, I'll, kind of say these two things because I say them a lot and I drill them into our team's head is I learned in my trip to Zappos when I called them a shoe, a shoe company, that they are not a shoe company. They were very blunt about the fact that they're not a shoe company. They are a customer service company that just happens to sell shoes. And so I actually switched that up a little bit. And uh, our little motto here is we're a customer service company in the garage door business. And so everything we do first is customer service. And then after that is garage doors. As far as our employees, we have a focus uh, where we're an employee first company. And it's my belief that if you do a good job of taking care of your employees and they feel like they have job security and they, you know, they follow the processes, uh, they'll do well here and they'll last a long time. And so we, uh, we have high standards, but at the same time, uh, we have, in my opinion, happy employees. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've heard the um, I've heard the phrase before: we're a marketing company who's te- who happens to sell HVAC or who happens to sell plumbing or do plumbing. So, but I never heard the customer service who happens to do um, garage door. I think that's fantastic. You mentioned that you have pretty high standards. What are the standards that you look for in Aaron Overhead Doors Atlanta and? One, do you think that this that all garage door companies should consider this, or do you think it's really, it's it matters based on the culture that you're trying to build? So it does matter on the culture. I think execution of the processes that we put in place is not easy. Uh, if it was, everybody would do it, and so we uh, we have high standards for repairs. When our cert, we we call them service professionals, not technicians, here because we're trying to create a culture of professionalism. And so our service professionals, um, they really focus on the process. That's what we drill into their head, the process. And so uh, with that, when they arrive to a customer's house, we have step-by-step things that we train them on. It goes all the way down to when you knock on the door, take your sunglasses off, look them in the eyes, step back, allow them to have space from the time they open the door, uh, reach in and shake their hand. Don't walk in to shake their hand. I mean, I'm very particular, so uh, I'm not the easiest person to work for. We have a 32-point inspection that's required on every repair that they must do in Service Titan, uh, which has been a huge plus for us. Uh, we must request uh, or must offer multiple quotes. We do So you have the good, better, best, which is what I think is probably one of the greatest things that you guys have going for you uh, for Service Titan because it's single-handedly, I think, raised our average profit and revenue per job uh, because it sets up an opportunity for customers to easily digest what we're communicating uh, because we're talking a new language. They're also trying to decipher if we're telling them the truth while also deciding if they can you know, trust you. So the more simple and more easily laid out that you can make it, I think the best uh, that it could be. So from the 32 point inspection, we have three options. You have, this is what you called us out here for. This is going to get your door running again. This is the, the next option is that plus here's some preventative maintenance things that we see that could be an issue down the road uh, or in the near future. And then lastly, while we're here, you might want to consider uh, the performance of your door. So we can increase the performance of your door by doing these things. And then uh, just for kicks and giggles, 
uh, your door's 15 years old and uh, we can certainly repair it, but here's a price for a new garage door if you wanted to just compare. And what that's done for our business is uh, significant. I mean, our customers love that path. We're not pushy. We, we offer options, educate the customer on the condition of their door by doing the safety inspection and walking them through that. And then we present the, the options that we have available. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that, uh, that unsolicited plug of Service Titan. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that you guys get value out of that estimate builder. Um, that's, that's wonderful. And I really want to commend you, Ryan. I want to go to the podcast now, next, but I think that I, I personally really agree with the way that you're approaching culture and you're approaching building a team. And I think that it, it, it sounds like it's already paid off. And I think it's just going to keep paying off from here as long as you stick to that. So well done. Um, the final thing I want to talk to you before we go into torsion talk, which I'm so psyched to talk about, you come from the software industry, which is, which for the last, like, I want to say two decades, two, three decades, software technology, that's always been like a hot spot. Like, oh, I want to work in Silicon Valley. I want to work on software technology. Now you're in some of the, you're now you're in the trace, now you're in blue collar. What would you say to a prospective, like say a recent high school graduate, or maybe someone like me who had a psychology degree in, their, in, uh, in college and doesn't know what they want to do now? What would you say to them if they were asking about, what about technology or, or blue collar work like garage door business? Like, would, how would you present both options to them? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't have traded my time in software for anything. The relationships that I took out of that, the education and business, the professionalism that I learned, I was uh, very rough around the edges. Um, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the software industry. I think that software is very difficult and there's a lot of, um, I guess don't take this the wrong way, but there's a lot of difficult people in software. You know, Not offended. Yeah. We, um, part of my job was trying to reach out to decision makers at uh, Fortune 500 companies and trying to get past gatekeepers. And, you know, you'd have situations where I would have a day trip to Chicago, I'd fly up there. And then, you know, even after confirming the meeting, they'd be like, oh, hey, sorry, something came up, I can't meet. And you're like, I just flew here for this particular meeting. And you have some of that, right? And, and I know things happen, but I don't know. It's just, I feel like everybody's kind of in their cocoon and uh, in blue collar world, I don't know. I think I grew up with a family who worked very hard, uh, lower to middle class for the most of the time. And um, I feel like I relate more closely to blue collar people in some degree, but I, I definitely carry a lot of character traits of both. And um, I think I value the blue collar worker more than the white collar worker, just because I think to do what they do every single day, let's leave out the garage doors. These guys drive in traffic all day for a living in Atlanta and wherever you're at. That alone sucks, right? So I would just say that uh, you add on to it grumpy customers and things not going as planned every day. And I think that, um, I think they just, they work their asses off. And I, I don't, I don't really know that even, I mean, unfortunately, I think they make good money. I think they could make more money. I find it very interesting to a little side note. Uh, you know, some of our customers try to try to say that, uh, you know, oh, he was only here for 30 or 45 minutes and, you know, you charged me $300 and that's like, you know, $100 an hour. And, you know, and then we talked a little bit about earlier about, you know, our employees uh, trying to understand how, how we do compensation as well. And, you know, I think there's a lot of education that can take place with that, but you know, these guys work their tail off and deal with a lot of crap on a daily basis. And, um, and to be able to do what they do day in and day out with very few breaks is pretty impressive. And I got a lot of respect for them. And for people coming out of college, you know, there's, there's a huge shortage in the trade, uh, home services in general. And so, you know, I wouldn't underestimate, I think a lot of people are kind of mind blown with the photos they see on Instagram with the nice cars and the hot chicks and whatever right so everybody wants to date a model and drive a hundred thousand dollar car and and i guess they feel like um if they go into a trade that's never going to happen but it could uh and and i feel like you know if you 
if you do a good job and maybe go out and start your own business, maybe you can get that car. And, you know, there's plenty, I, I have a marketing company and I can tell you firsthand, one of my clients is a roofing company uh, here in Atlanta and they have their share of nice cars and trucks. Uh, so you can have all those things in the trades. I would also encourage anyone who may be listening to check out our episode with Weldon Long. It was in the first season and he has a very fantastic story that some plumbers do drive Cadillacs. Uh, so your marketing company, Such and Such Media, correct? We come up with a name and I also have a theory that the name of your company absolutely means nothing. So, uh, but it's catchy and people like it. So I remembered it. I remembered it. So there you go. Um, so did such and such media and the torsion talk podcast, those evolve at the same time? Uh, yeah, actually the podcast evolved out of such and such media. So we started the marketing company about 15 months ago. We're a party of four and, uh, we have a good time. And so, we, uh, we do websites, SEO, email newsletters, uh, a little bit of Facebook management, things like that. And so uh, reputation management. And we, we saw an opportunity. Actually, as a matter of fact, Adrian, my sound guy, who helped me get the podcast started, I was selling him a door, him and his family. And uh, he had like a YouTube channel and went out and he had his little studio in the garage so I started asking him a bunch of questions and naturally we hit it off and I was telling him how I want to start a podcast. And he was like, I can help with that. And so, um, that's, that was the birth of it. And so he sent me links to everything I needed to purchase and I made the initial investment and then we launched it. Uh, we just completed season three. There are 20 episodes each. Uh, we've got about 30,000 downloads or plays, whatever you want to call it. And it's fun because I get, people that hit me up on Facebook all the time. And I, I, did, I didn't expect this, but it just kind of happened. Thank me for the time that I put in to uh, make the industry better. And that's a, it's a really cool, it's, it's pretty neat to have that happen. Yeah. And it's a pretty technical podcast too. I've catched a couple episodes, but I definitely caught snippets where you were talking about things that I did couldn't understand because I have no business in the, I have, I have no idea how garage doors work. Um, so I think it's fascinating that in the last five years, we're almost six years, you went from software to an industry, to blue collar industry that you had no experience on. And in that time, you now started a podcast where you nerd out on all the technical elements of that trade. Well, I learn quick because I dive in and I just consume it. My wife hates it when I get in that mode because I won't come up for air until I'm done. But I would say the first year and a half, we really just, it was, I was a sponge and I'm still a sponge, but I did learn a lot. And, you know, people give me more credit than I think I should get because I just find good questions to ask and I interview people. And so I don't, I, I'm actually learning a lot through my podcast as well and building excellent relationships with people in the industry. So um, it's, it's been a blessing. That's awesome. So what prompted you to do the podcast uh, in the first place? What put the plan to the idea in your head? Honestly, it's probably a little bit selfish. I wanted to, well, it was a couple of things. Number one, uh, there, there wasn't a really good source of information in the, in the garage door industry. Two, I saw that there was a lot of people on Facebook having conversations and it was easy for me to find people to interview. Uh, number three, I wanted to brand myself in the industry and bring awareness to my uh, marketing company. And it's actually done very well. That's our, we, we don't do any marketing for our marketing company. Our podcast generates all of our business. So we've been very blessed. That's incredible. And I imagine that the, the podcast as an advertising tool, you just get a lot of respect because unlike some other marketing agencies that couldn't identify a spring from a coil, you actually know the mechanics of a lot of these trades. And so you can create tailored messaging to customers that it actually makes sense and is technically correct. Yeah. And also a lot of these guys grew up in the trade and became owners. And one of the things that I saw was there, there is a, these, I'm, I'm probably not the guy to talk to these guys about how to repair or install a door, even though I can do it. These guys are probably better than me. What I do have is the wisdom and knowledge of growing companies, marketing, sales strategies, processes, technology, automation, systems, 
you know, hiring to, you know, strategies, things like that. And so I think people appreciate my spin on things. And so they, most of them view me as one of them. And I'm, I'm also able to be one of them and share the technical side of things. And, um, and I share a lot of my secrets. I don't know. I'm very transparent. And if people wanted to, like I even tell my employees and look, if you want to start your own company, let me know. We'll phase you out and we'll figure it out together. And I'm the same way. Like if you want to do marketing on your own, if you want advice, I'll give it to you. I don't have a problem with it. Um, there's, there's plenty of business out there for all of us. And uh, I would rather build a bridge than burn one. I think that's fantastic advice. So many owners out there, I think, are scared that their best techs are going to leave and start their own business. I think it's pretty revolutionary that you're like, I'll help you. Well, I'm an entrepreneur um, at heart. And this is uh, such and such was my probably sixth or seventh business I've started since I was in my 20s. And so I, um, I definitely know what it feels like to want to jump out on your own and not do it. And so I would rather it happen in conjunction with us so that we can phase that person out and help them get started rather than them leave us and put us in a worse position or even make a mistake and jump out too early and, and not be ready. As someone who started, what is that, six businesses you said? If there's yes. anyone here listening to this episode who's either a senior tech who think, who wants to go at it on their own or perhaps a son or daughter who's about to take over the family business and step into the the shoes of an owner. What are some of the biggest tips of advice you would give them? I would say the best thing you could do is know that what you don't know is your biggest disadvantage. So one of the greatest things I do to learn is listen to podcasts, read books, and I travel to um, other states where people own businesses that do a really good job in the door industry so that I can learn from them. Although I've been excellent at growing companies, there's a lot of things I don't know about um, stabilizing them or, or being, I get bored. So let's say for instance, I grow a company after four or five years, I get a little antsy, hence such and such media. And so I hired a general manager, put him in charge and I do a lot of the marketing stuff now. I'm not very good at taking companies past the, a certain stage. And I recognize that. And so um, for you, if you're wanting to recognize what you're good at, hire for your weaknesses, and then, you know, always, always be dumb enough to learn something new. And, and I would say uh, budget enough money every year to go to your association or your industry expo to make contacts and pick people's brains, you know, get on Facebook and network with other owners LinkedIn, go out and ask them, like, I'm probably leaving in December to go to like the, I think, fourth or fifth business since I've been in business to go shadow an owner and just learn, uh, what are you doing? Uh, How do you do this? How do you do that? I'll come back here and sit down with my general manager. We went to Ohio uh, not too long ago, him and I both for a few days to meet with one owner because we were buying a new space. Uh, We didn't have a big warehouse before. We were moving into a big space with a big warehouse with dock doors and doing direct shipped. And we did, we were like, all right, there's so many things we don't know about how to design the warehouse, how to store things, um, how to prepare for shipments. You know, I, I wanted to know all that and I was driving myself crazy. So I knew somebody did know that. So we flew out there, hung out, came back here, built our processes around what we learned. And that'll save you those couple thousand dollars that you spend on that will probably save you tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes or uh, time. Yeah. And I will also echo that. I think every single person I've had on this podcast has welcomed other people into their shop. We I go to others. I think it's very important. Yeah. I think there's a lot of folks in the industry who are very supportive of that. So definitely build a network and use it. Too. I learned a lot from my HVAC friend down the street. Uh, you know, he's, on Service Titan. And when we first got started, or maybe even before we signed up, I can't remember. First time he ever helped us, he allowed us to send one of our uh, dispatchers over there to sit with their dispatcher and learn how they use Service Titan. And so, yeah, I think you can hook up with local companies that are outside your trade, but that are local 
you don't have to pay thousands of dollars and you can learn things that other door companies or other HVAC companies aren't going to learn because you're taking techniques from other industries. Yeah, 100% agree. What has been the most interesting, eye-opening conversation you've had on the Torsion Talk podcast? I would say the one that sticks out the most is probably season one, episode two. It was my first interview. My first uh, episode one of season one was just me introducing myself. I brought on a gentleman named Tom Wadsworth, and he is like a journalist in our industry who uh, is a industry advocate and an investigative reporter. And our industry is flooded with spam and uh, some pretty dirty tactics. And so having him on and being able to have him discuss some of the things that he's encountered, I think that was probably, um, he exposed uh, the spam and how bad it was in our industry single-handedly. And he continues to do a good job of shining a light on that. Got it. What were some of the podcasts that inspired you to start a podcast? So I like Joe Rogan, which who doesn't? I don't know that I've ever made it through all three hours of any of his, but I'm, I'm, you know, when I was in a truck, I've never been a great reader. So um, I had some disability, like learning disabilities growing up, uh, diagnosed with like ADHD and dyslexia and a bunch of other stuff. Long story short, I struggle reading books. I can't, I can't read and then tell you what I read about. So um, I'm an audible and visual learner. So it was great because when I was in the truck doing repairs or whatever, I just put headphones in and I would listen to books or podcasts. And so I, uh, I'm a big audio book reader, I guess is probably the right word to say. I'll tell you uh, one of the best books uh, that I've recently read that ma- has made a huge impact mastering uh, the Rockefeller habits. Uh, one of the takeaways we took out of that book was he suggests doing a daily huddle. Uh, so now we do a 15 minute daily huddle with our entire team where we go through and we look at the previous day's jobs, current day's jobs, read some positive reviews we got from the previous day. And, and we discuss any road bumps that we hit, um, you know, Hey, was there any issues that uh, popped up yesterday, whether it was, you know, we put the wrong address in or uh, we sold the job wrong or whatever. And then we discuss it and we talk about what we could have done different. And then we, down, you know, we, we do it quickly, uh, 15 minutes, and then we're out. Everybody goes to their jobs. And since we've been doing that, it's been a huge thing. And then now I'm reading Extreme Ownership. Uh, mm. So he's just really cool. And he has uh, some really cool stories. And, um, I think he's, uh, he's just an impressive person. And I I do believe that anything that happens in your business is your fault. So, uh, I'm a big believer in the extreme ownership. That's been recommended before. I need to add that to my, my list of nonfiction books. I like to uh, go back and forth between fiction and nonfiction, cleanse my palate of all the good stuff I, I learned with made up fun stories. What are your goals for the next couple of years? You know, obviously COVID hit us all with crazy, I don't even know what to call it, a crazy just uh, obstacle. There we go. I got it. What do you want to do with Aaron Overhead Doors and with such and such media? That's a good question. And I actually just had this conversation like right before this in another meeting. I, I do set goals. I set goals, not as much monetarily, but more, I know you're probably going to think I'm weird. Your listeners are going to think I'm weird, but every year I try to do at least three big things that make me uncomfortable and it's hard to make me uncomfortable. So they got to be really big and really daunting. I take big risk. Big risk is what got me here and I continue to take big risk. And so that's kind of uh, what I try to do. I think I'm smart enough to take calculated risk, but, but big risk. And so that's, uh, I try to never be comfortable. I'm that person that literally thrives on not being comfortable. I change the icons placement on my phone on a regular basis. My wife hates me to death, but I constantly try to move placement of the cups and dishes and the cabinets in the kitchen. Uh, and, and I just think we become automated too much and then uh, we don't process properly. So I, I like to process. I like to think, I like to change things. Um, I know my staff doesn't love it as much as I do, but if something's not working and we've tried it every which way, we're going to shut it down. 
I'm not going to let it last. And so with my marketing company, I struggled a little bit because we, I've always gone thousand miles per hour on growing businesses and it's a lot of stress on me and my family. So uh, my wife agreed to allow me to start the business after I had decided to do it anyway, by the way, to uh, as long as I didn't have like extremely aggressive goals where it just sucked the life out of me. And so I have a thing that I, I do now is I, I committed to this in the very beginning and it's, I have no expectations and no limitations. I, I just work and my team works and uh, what, what happens happens. And believe it or not, it's probably because of that philosophy going to be the most successful business that I've got. It's doing very well. We're, we're extremely uh, blessed and um, we're having a fun time doing it. That's awesome. And I really like how you adjusted your goals. I like how self-aware you are and how you've learned from every iteration of your business ventures and have applied those changes to where you're at today. I think that's very, very smart. And I would encourage anyone listening to be more self-aware of their weaknesses, what they're really good at, what they need help with, and just figuring it out from there. But I love that. No expectations and no limitations. Is there anything we should have talked about that we didn't? I mean, I think that uh, systems and processes is probably something that I think I could speak to. Uh, one thing that I see a lot of businesses in the blue collar world, they're slow to adopt technology. I think with all the automation that we've been able to create in our offices, uh, we probably would be paying for two more staff members if we didn't have that right now. And so I think if you don't know technology, I mean, don't be afraid of it, right? Uh, also, there's probably people more than willing to help you uh, create automation or point you in the right direction. And so I think there's, there's the common theme that I see in a lot of garage door companies or HVAC companies, electrical companies, they've got good processes. And, you know, I think everybody wants to run out and start their own company but if you're not organized and you don't have the ability to structure um, good processes and maintain accountability around those processes, you're not going to be successful. I mean, you may be, you may be able to own your own business, but that's only going to take you so far. Um, and so without trusting other employees and having accountability and good processes in place and continuous education, um, that's the common things that I see with businesses that, uh, do really well in the, in the trades uh, from my my interactions. Yeah, I'll give that 100%. And then also plug another episode of ours, which is the first episode of this season with Al Levy. He's the systems and processes guru, self-proclaimed, very good. I've heard nothing but good things. Ask you questions? You can ask me questions, of course. Have you been interviewed on the show yet? <laughs> No, I haven't. I haven't been interviewed on the show yet. Uh, I love getting it. Questions for you. Please. Oh my gosh. I have rapid fire questions for you, but we'll just give the audience a bonus. Give, give it to me. How long have you been with Service Titan? A little over three years. What do you like most about it? I like talking with business owners like yourself and learning about how they grow and scale their business. And I would say 90% of it, probably more like 95% of them really give a crap about the people that work for them. And so that makes me feel good about the world. Cool. What's your favorite book? I mean, I have a Harry Potter tattoo, so uh, that kind of gives it away. But no, I'm a, I'm a giant reader. I, to say that a specific, I would say that The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy really um, set the stage for me for, for reading. And then in the nonfiction world, I absolutely love um, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Oh, very good. He's a good mm -hmm. author. I feel like he pumps out a new book like every six months. I don't know how he does it. I, I mean, when you're an 8,000 time bestselling author that just sits on piles of money, I'm sure it's pretty easy. Right. All right. So who is your favorite person that you work with at Service Titan? Ooh, um, I would probably say, I would actually give it, I would give it a, um, you know what? I really work with some fantastic people at Service Titan. The manager I have now, shout out to Scott Goldman, great, 
great person. Uh, love working with him. And then I just also hired a social media manager, social media and content strategist, Natalie Koch, who I'm, she's my first direct report and I'm loving working with her. So I would say them, both of them. What motivates you and makes you enjoy your job? Like what does Service Titan do that motivates you and makes you wake up and enjoy your job every day? Two things. One, I get to do a podcast for Service Titan, which I love interviewing people. Love it too. Yeah. Webinars, which involve... By the way, so yeah, you can tell. Well, now I just have to come on yours. Uh, Webinars, which also have a performative aspect to it. Um, I have a... I'm a comedy writer as well and a comedy performer when I'm off the clock. So... Nice. These allow me to have fun in my job. And then I also like Service Titan's mission statement. I've worked for a bunch of tech companies before. Several of them don't exist anymore. And I, Service Titan is the first tech company I've worked for that I think brings real value to people's lives. And so I think what they're trying to do is a really admirable mission. So I relate to that mission. My dad uh, is a blue collar worker. So I'm, I'm, from, I'm born in the trades, so to speak. So I resonate with a lot of things. And what city do you live in? I currently live in Los Angeles, but I'm born and raised Queens, New York. So I left New York City for Los Angeles for a quieter life. Very cool. And if you were president for one day, what change would you make? Oh, oh, but we're going to get political here. Um, Unless it's just... (laughs) It's... If I was president next week, I would probably... Honestly, I would probably... um, do as much as I could to um, impact climate change and uh, green initiatives. I also think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of opportunity in green initiatives and in just sourcing different types of energy. So I would put as much presidential power towards that as I could. Good for you. I think that's good. Thanks. I'll let you take over your podcast now. Sorry. I just well, I have rapid, I have rapid fire questions for you. Although I think that president one is really good. I might steal that. How do you take your coffee? Black, no sugar. If you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? Jesus. What's the number one thing you're trying to learn more about right now? Me. Probably. If money, <laughs> if money weren't an object, so you had unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? I would... Uh, definitely pay the people that help me become successful, uh, take care of them. And then I'm a huge supporter or someone who would like to do more in the um, sex slave, sex trafficking industry. I would fund that uh, more. Got it. And what's the number one thing every contractor must do to run a successful business? Set the example. Very nice, very nice. A lot of that extreme ownership there too and the systems and processes. Well, Ryan, I wanna thank you for sitting down and chatting with me for a little over an hour and being so generous with your time. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to know you. We've been chatting over email for almost a year now. So it's nice to finally be able to put a face to the email address. Yep, that's right. Um, I thank you again for being. On the podcast, uh, you had mentioned that you have to come on my podcast. One of the shows that we have uh, this next season, which is season four for us, we actually are talking about marketing systems and software. And uh, one of the interviews that I have set aside is for you, actually. So fantastic. We are uh, hoping to have you come on and uh, allow us to ask you questions about Service Titan, even though I could probably sit down and talk about it myself. I think it would be more entertaining for you to talk about the questions. Oh my gosh, I would be so happy to. So what we'll do is we'll coordinate and we'll make sure that these episodes come out around the same time so people can get uh, two full hours of Jackie and Ryan if they if uh, one isn't enough for them. Okay. Right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Yep, take care, guys. Ever wonder how much your business is worth? So many owners ask that question and have no idea where to turn for an answer. In just a few clicks, Service Titan's new Service Business Valuation Calculator can give you an easy and free estimate of the current value of your business. Whether you're thinking about selling your company or looking to track growth, check it out now. Visit servicetitan.com value. Again, that's servicetitan.com value. See how much your business is worth today. Are you looking for a resource to help you build an extraordinary service company? 
Well then look no further than Service Titan's Contractor Playbook. We designed this free all-in-one resource authored by the industry's greatest minds to help you set your company up for success. Learn best practices from marketing to new and existing customers, how to drive your company's culture, providing excellent customer service, and more. Just go to servicetitan.com slash getplaybook to access the free digital guide. That's servicetitan.com slash getplaybook.